0: This is Fatima Al-Sayed, your you Mentor talk show host. Today we'll be speaking to Hina Musabji, a highly accomplished lawyer who has made it her mission to bring attorneys to those in dire n- need of legal assistance. Then we'll speak with Haider Ali, a network engineer who specializes in packet optical transport platform, which basically means he fixes the internet. Today's show is brought to you by Brother Mohsin and Sister Tasneem Mekji. You can tune into the talk show every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And remember, if you have any questions for the panelists, you can always leave them in the comments section. Hina, assalamu alaikum. How are you today? Wa assalamu um, So you have had a very long career path and with a lot of twists and turns to get to where you are. Can you- yes, I have.
1: It's been a, it's been quite the journey.
0: Yes. Can you tell us a bit about how you started off and how you got to where you are now? Well, that's a long story, but I'll try to abbreviate it as much <laughs> as I can. Um,
1: so I started out, you know, when I grew up, I was kind of surrounded by medical professionals. You know, that's what I knew um, through my family and our friends and um, our social circles. So you know, in my mind, you know, you kind of are, you do or try to follow the path of what you're most familiar with and what you're surrounded by. So, you know, all my life I thought, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to be in the medical field. I'll, I'll be a doctor. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, nothing could make my immigrant parents prouder <laughs> to hear me <laughs> declare that since I was like five years old. Yeah. Um, but as... You know, the journey continued. I got to, got to you know, undergrad at university level. I, you know, had a little bit of, like, a wake-up call. Like, you know what, this is all I knew, but I didn't realize what all else was out there. Mm-hmm. And this might not be what I'm best suited to do. And it's probably time to make a change. Um, but, you know, as oftentimes happens, and when you're in undergrad, you want to explore, and you're not really sure what you want to do, and that's okay. Um, I ended up switching from... Um, pre-med, bio, kind of into this early um, medical admission program to, um, to the major of finance. Even though deep down inside, I kind of wanted to be an English major, but I had to, I felt like I had to transition to something that um, you know my parents could still feel like. I'd be able to stand on my own two feet with, and I think English would have made my my parents a little bit nervous. (laughs) Did you have? I did switch over um, to finance, Mm -hmm. um, and it was completely different than what I was familiar with. But I connected with people in the field, really, really used my career center, uh, and made that transition. And after undergrad, I you know worked in. the venture capital analytics industry for a couple years and while there i thought you know i'm really passionate about numbers and analysis and um you know helping these companies merge and make a o and then i realized like it sounded like it was something i was passionate about and fun about but i needed something more so i did a lot of volunteer work outside of um outside of work And even while I was volunteering, you know, it was fantastic to be a part of these amazing organizations doing so much good. But as a volunteer, there was only, there was limitations as what I could do. Mm -hmm. And I was seeing those attorneys who worked for those organizations who were actually, you know, in there making change and really affecting lives on a a bigger scale. And um, the environment, you know, Working, you know, in New York for an investment firm was cool, but it just wasn't that the culture that I felt, you know, that I was going to flourish in for the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and I decided to take the LSAT, which is like the law school entrance exam. And I just kind of took it maybe the summer before, or maybe three or four months before I got married. And I kind of sat on it and thought about it, like, this is something I'm going to put in my back pocket. Um, and when I'm ready, I'll apply to law school. And... Um, Two weeks after I moved from New York to to Chicago, where I still am, mm-hmm. um, September eleventh happened, um, mm-hmm. and you know we know uh, you know as as American Muslims, you see the the change that brought towards the American Muslim community, and then I know you know what this is the time I I'm going to go to law school. This is when I'm going to make a little bit of a career change.
0: So was that kind of uh, something that really affected your decision? It really did. I mean when you When I saw
1: the backlash toward you know the American Muslim community, the minority um, population within our country, mm-hmm. um, I knew I wanted it to do something to affect change uh, in my own way and however i could. Mm-hmm. um so that was really that really kind of pushed me into going to grad school a little bit earlier and into the field of law,
0: okay, and did you get married in that time?
1: I did so mm-hmm. i um was married prior to starting law school and you know, for my my young women listening out there, your marriage contract is awesome. Put in, like, I'm going to go to grad school after I get married. You <laughs> can do that. Um, you know, our beautiful faith allows us to do that. So, yeah. you know, sometimes if it's in the contract, you'll actually do it. Um, it helps you realize that goal, almost like a, you know, a bucket list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, so I did go to law school um, after I was married. And... um with the, with the intention of, you know, I kind of focused on international humanitarian law.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and throughout my law school career, I made sure I got a ton of experience, whether it be in, you know, um, you know, kind of nonprofit social justice type institutions or with the government or with private law firms, just to kind of, you know, get that wealth of experience, but also see like, where am I best suited? Where do I feel like I can make the most impact?
0: And if you didn't have that experience with the volunteering and everything else, do you think that you would have been able to right away get into working? You know,
1: I'm not, maybe I would have done some of the work and maybe I would not have liked it. I think Mm -hmm. having all that experience kind of helps guide you in the right direction and kind of know where you should go. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the biggest pieces of advice I like to give to people while they're in school is, you know, Every organization, whether it be, you know, something that's a nonprofit or even a private institution, they're always looking for volunteer help and work and labor. And it's, you know, if you go out there and say, hey, I'll be your intern and I'll offer this this free, this free help, you know, nine times out of 10 people are going to take it and it helps you explore different areas too.
0: Okay. And so after um, doing all this, you worked at, you worked uh, as a the director of the sex trafficking, in yeah. correct? Okay. Can you yeah, tell us? So while I gonna... was,
1: yeah, while I was in law school, um, you know, I was associated with the International Human Rights Law Institute mm-hmm. and I started, I got funding for and started this, um, project that focused on, um, sex trafficking of minors abroad mm-hmm. and the focus being on Americans. So, you know, at that time we had heard about all these stories of, these trips being taken down to places like Costa Rica by American businessmen Um, for, you know, part of that trip would be um, to elicit and misconduct with minors. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were able to go down to Costa Rica and speak with the legislator there and help kind of reform their laws. And along with some um, non-government organizations, NGOs down there uh, to help figure out ways that we could take these U.S businessmen back to the U.S. and um, prosecute them under U.S. federal law. So it was a really interesting project. And um, I was really, you know, I felt privileged to be a part of that uh, for for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but then while I was doing that, I also had um, my first child. Yeah. And so they- trips to Costa Rica and um, were becoming a little bit more difficult. So I thought it was time to kind of put my roots down um, here in Chicago. And I was offered this amazing opportunity um, to help start the legal department at CARE Chicago, which is the Council mm-hmm. of American Islamic Relations. So I got to do you know a lot of civil rights work, especially at a time when there was a lot of discrimination mm-hmm. um, against the American Muslim community and other minority
0: communities. And that was basically what you went in to do from the beginning. So you sort of got to do that.
1: I did get to do that. You know, I wasn't sure if this is what I wanted to do, but I did know that I wanted to be um, almost like an ambassador for my community, mm-hmm. whether that's like the Muslim community at large or, you know, the community of women of color or whatever that might be. I knew I wanted to kind of be an ambassador and be a change maker.
0: Mm-hmm. And and, in any way I could. yeah, And how about like
1: you, how has Islam helped you on that trip? Oh, Islam has helped me a great deal on the trip. I think, you know, your faith, you follow a faith because the teachings of that faith, you know, kind of ring true to you and it's something you aspire Mm -hmm. to to do on a daily basis. And I, you know, what's really phenomenal and I'm so blessed is that I get to live my faith on a daily basis with the work I do.
0: And then from there, you went to building the, Uh, You moved to Chicago and you had your second child, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I, um, right, so I had child number two and I was offered the ability to help uh, run the immigration department in in a private law firm. Yeah. it was an all women law firm. It was really great. We tried to integrate, um, you know, making it very family friendly, like for, I had had my second child. So I had asked like, Hey, you know, is it okay if I bring my child to work with me mm-hmm. as long as it doesn't affect my ability to, to, to serve my clients. So I, you know, I had like a pack and play and a swing. <laughs> they gave me a nice big office so I could accommodate that. And there were days where, and I, I mean, I know the situation doesn't work for everybody, but you know, I've I've always tried to find and create scenarios to help create that work life balance, not mm-hmm. only for myself but for those around me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, sometimes we have to help each other out. So there was times when my clients would, you know, be holding my baby while I'm like, all right, let's sign these documents, <laughs> and it it worked out, alhamdulillah. But you know, those things are never easy.
0: Can you tell us about um, the what you're doing now as? Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a
1: bit about what you built? I would love to. Um, So what I'm doing now, I feel like all these little experiences have kind of led me to, and I'm really doing my passion project because Mm -hmm. I personally believe that access to a lawyer should not depend on your income. And when I understood that like 86% of low income individuals who needed legal help were not getting access to it, I knew I wanted to be a part of changing that. So um, I guess it's about seven and a half years ago. Um, I collaborated with a colleague, and we said, you know, there's so many people who wanna who wanna do. I mean, the, the need for um, legal aid attorneys is huge. There just aren't enough attorneys for civil legal help. Um, and like, you know, when we when you're arrested, you get that the Miranda warning. At least here in the states, it's like you have the right to remain a silent. I mean, the right to remain silent. Um, if you need an attorney, one will be appointed to you. Mm -hmm. That's only in criminal cases, right? But, um, where all this legal help is needed is in civil cases, which are often issues of basic human rights, like housing or safety for abuser, from an abuser. Um, so... A colleague of mine and I were talking and we're like, you know, all, there's all these people who have law degrees but aren't able to volunteer because of a barrier, whether it's they're taking time off to care for their children or they're, um, you know, working not in a big law firm, you know, in a small firm, maybe in the suburbs or are working part time or not in the traditional law setting, they don't have the same opportunities to do this volunteer legal work. Like, what if we band together and and create that and create a mechanism that makes it easier? to do. And so about so seven and a half seven and a half years ago, we did a call out and 10 people, 10 attorneys gathered around a kitchen table um, in the suburbs of Chicago. And um, while we were having the meeting and talking about the things that we could do, all of our phones started ringing because there was this huge snowstorm. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, and it was because um, all our kids were being dismissed from school early. And that really kind of set the culture for, look, we get that People want to give back, they want to volunteer, but can't because of everything else going on in their lives. So let's create a menu of options in which people can give back. Um, you know, whether it's like a one and done workshop or clinic where you meet with that client, do this quick direct service and you're done, or it's something more long-term where you have a client for over a period of time and are, are going before a judge to advocate for them. Um, advocacy, and we even have projects that you can even do at home in your pajamas. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the need is, is so endless. And sometimes these little um, pieces that, you know, a legal professional or a volunteer can do, you know, means huge change in that individual's life.
0: And you guys started off with 10 attorneys, and now
1: how much? Now we're 300 volunteers strong. Absolutely. Um Yeah. And, you know, tens of thousands of hours of legal volunteer work, um, thousands of clients helped. It's, you know, when we look back to how we started and what we become, we had never envisioned we'd become a nonprofit organization. We thought we'd be a group of attorneys who were going to support each other. Um, and kind of make this justice gap a little bit more,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: a little bit more fair, um, and it's turned into something bigger.
0: So, what does a day in your job look like?
1: Oh wow, um, my day varies from day to day, which is, I think, what kind of keeps it exciting and keeps me loving my job. Um, you know, on, on a on a given day, I might be, um, you know, training attorneys or. Um, jumping in for one of our volunteers who can't make that court appearance before the judge for um, their domestic violence case or their, you know, divorce case or immigration case or what it may be. Um, A lot of times it's, you know, we built this thing that started from 10 attorneys is now so many volunteers strong. And I really like to focus on if we built this, I want us to be able to sustain it. So a lot of my time does go into telling the stories of our impact and, you know, writing grants and meeting with funders, because if we've created this, I don't want it to go away. I want it to keep growing. I, you know, we've started, we've got this strong foothold in one county in Illinois. We're expanding into the second county. I'd like for, you know, our three-year goal to be, you know, across the state in 10 years, Mm -hmm. you know opening up chapters in multiple states.
0: Now, how how is that possible with the restriction of having to know the law in each state and having to have the... Yeah,
1: that's interesting. So yes we get that most attorneys are probably not trained in um you know elder law issues like Mm -hmm. dealing with senior citizens or domestic violence or immigration or housing um you know but what we what's unique about our um our little innovative ideas like we like we call it is (laughs) we bring the training to you we partner and we also you know make sure we record them and have access online we partner you with another attorney, so you're not going into this alone. We offer subject matter experts to kind of hold your hand when you're doing a case for the first time. Um, you know, we ha- offer offices that you can come meet with your clients, and you can come meet with the staff and the directors, and we'll we'll help you through. So it's a lot of support because we find that the reason, uh, you know, at least in the legal profession, I think it's kind of across the board in all professions, that people don't volunteer is because, you know, A, right Time. Um, mm-hmm. the, the second reason was knowledge, right? Not having the knowledge base to um, engage in another field of law. Um, so you
0: sort of broken that barrier of ha- not having the knowledge.
1: Yeah, we you know we thought like, what are the barriers to volunteering? Let's equip these attorneys to overcome those barriers, so more people are helped. And we did. We focused on. And I was saying when we started. I mean, not not now that we're so big, but when we first started, we focused on that stay-at-home attorney mom, that mother who chose to take a break from her career to do the much more noble and more difficult job of raising a family. Mm -hmm. Um, And we knew she wanted to volunteer because she was volunteering at the school and she was volunteering, you know, with the community activities. And that's all great and that's fantastic and we need those volunteers too. But, you know, being an attorney, I know how hard it was to train and take the bar and you have this amazing skill set that can have such a huge impact. So Mm -hmm. if we create these venues and these avenues to allow Um, For this attorney, what we were focusing on was that stay-at-home mom attorney to volunteer. We discovered that that didn't just work for the stay-at-home mom volunteer attorney. It worked for um, the part-time attorney, the attorney who, you know, wasn't working in the city or didn't have time to do pro bono work in their legal setting. But this these little bite-size and Mm -hmm. support-based structure enabled them to.
0: What has been the biggest eye-opener for you? I think the biggest
1: eye-opener has been, like, just, like... Small pieces of service, like, you know, like I, I, I believe like like we, some of these recent cases we have, like Celia should be able to stand up before a judge with a lawyer by her side so she can be safe from her abuser, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that, you know, one of the, our senior citizens, John, he should ha- receive, you know, legal help from a lawyer to put together his end of life documents and that somebody like, like Maria should be able to have flushing, you know, a flushing toilet and running water in her apartment. And these things just may seem so small, but they can be a lifeline or provide dignity or prevent somebody from becoming homeless, right? Mm -hmm. Um, This is why I do what I do. And this is why I, you know, do what I can to empower others to do um, this good work. Because just these little, you know, a few hours out of your day or or life um, can mean whether somebody is evicted or not, or has to be in an unsafe situation or not, or, you know, making sure that a child of an incarcerated mother has all his things in order. So while his mom's in jail, he's got guardianship and 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 everything in his life or her life is in order. So, you know, I think that's been the biggest eye opener that a little bit of your time can make a huge impact on somebody else's life.
0: And you sound extremely passionate about um, your job when you speak about it. So where do you draw that inspiration from? Oh my gosh,
1: I, do, I draw that from everyone around me. I feel like, you know, um, people tell me i have i'm high energy and i have all this energy but i think <laughs> i suck it from the people around me like I, you know i speaking to people and just meeting people who are doing things that are you know even more incredible than i um i just i kind of thrive off of that and um i don't know i've had some i've had some great support along the way i you know our community in chicago um you know our faith based community um is pretty awesome my family's great um, My neighborhood's pretty cool. Um, I think all those things have kind of, of, I don't know, helped draw this passion in my journey, like all my experiences, right? All these different experiences. And, you know, I've had some experiences that are not like the most wonderful, but I see how those have helped me um, kind of become who
0: I am and kind of lead me to this this passion I have. Was there anyone in high school that sort of helped to influence who you became?
1: Yeah, um, you know it's incredible how you know we you know we just think of our teachers in a separate box, but those teachers can be incredible. My um, my ninth grade social studies teacher or world history—I'm not sure what we called it in ninth grade—but Mrs. Mackey uh, may she rest in peace. She really um, opened up my my eyes to like the whole world. So you know she taught us about world history. So we learned about different parts of the world. But what was so beautiful about the way she taught was. You know, even if she was talking about a conflict, she made us think of it, you know, of the, you know, the events thereafter and brought out that goodness, like that goodness in people and that goodness in culture that's inherent, even though things might go askew. Um and I think that kind of led me to constantly look and search for for that goodness in people, no matter what um
0: situation I was in. And even though you didn't know what you wanted to do um, entering university, you sort of knew before and just had to make your way there.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides you in, in, in strange ways. And, you know, I say this is my passion now, but I'll, I'll tell you when I was younger, I thought medicine was my passion. And then mm-hmm. when I, um you know, was an undergrad, I thought writing was my passion. And I still, I still love to write and I get to do that a little bit in my job. Um, and then I thought, you know, finance is my passion. so like, and it's okay to have these multiple passions on your journey and, and to get, and you know what, maybe if you talk to me five years from now, Fatima, I'll be doing something else. <laughs> my fashion. But um, I, I feel like Pro Bono Network is my baby. Um, and, you know, we started the organization when I had my youngest, and it's kind of grown with her, I feel like. Um, so I hope that, you know, when I do talk to you next, that I have gotten this organization across the state.
0: Um, Hopefully. Um, and what would you tell, let's say, a young woman who's trying to uh, follow your career path? What advice would you give her?
1: Well, I would tell her first, don't follow my career path, right? Follow, <laughs> follow you know, follow yours. And um, a story I like to share with, you know, even when I talk about my organization or anything in life a lot, this, this, uh, it's a fable. I don't know if you've heard it. It's called The Flight of the Hummingbird. Mm-hmm. And it's a story about, um, you know, all these animals are in this, in this large forest and um, the forest catches fire. So all these animals run out of the forest, and they um, all gather on top of this overlook or, or hill that looks down onto where their forest was. And all the animals are standing there watching their their home and, and their lives burn down. And this little hummingbird goes, flies over to a nearby stream, grabs a drop of water in her beak, and keeps going over that fire and dropping that drop, He goes back and forth from the stream to the fire to the stream to the fire. And the bear looks at her and saying, what are you doing, little hummingbird? do you think by your little drops of water you're going to do anything? And she responds, I'm doing what I can, right? Mm -hmm. So finding what it is that you feel good about, that works for you, that fits your life, and doing what you can to be the best at that.
0: If you're just joining the show now, we're on live with lawyer Hina Musabshi, and coming up next will be Sashad Haider Ali, a network engineer. Hina, can you tell us a bit about what message you would give the next generation? Um, you know,
1: similar to kind of what what I was trying to mm-hmm. to show with by telling that story is kind of finding what it is that you want to do and doing the best you can, but use the resources around you, right? We as humans, we're social we're social human beings. We have a village. We are surrounded by people. And I know, you know recent times with, technology and and just how society is we become a little bit more insular um mm-hmm. but just kind of go out there and talk to people and um ask people about things get involved in as much as you can um you know it's easy to to sit back and kind of watch the forest burn but get involved and, and, and help you know do what you can to to diminish that
0: so what tangible steps would you suggest that someone um take to find the profession or a job that's right for them
1: yeah, I mean, when you, you know, if you're not sure, um, get that, get that experience, right? Networking is huge, right? You can talk to people, uh, but talking to people, and, you, and you'll find out that if you do talk to people, people love talking about themselves. So <laughs> people, you know, if you ask them some great questions, they're going to tell you all this great stuff. And so you take that information, and then I think there's nothing that overcomes that, nothing better than actually experiencing um, Things yourself, So, like, get involved. Like I mentioned earlier, there are so many volunteer opportunities. And even where you see an organization that you're like, oh, my God, I would really like to see what that's more about and get more of a bird's eye view. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't see, like, an internship program on their website, if you call them and say, hey, I'm a college student or I'm a high school student and these are my interests and I'd really love to be involved with your organization in some way, they're likely going to take you. Like every organization I've worked with from the private sector to the nonprofit sector, we've always taken interns and volunteers to help us. Um, and we've had some fabulous College and high school volunteers, especially this last summer and this last year, Um, but just get involved and experience things. I think that's not only are you going to understand what you'll like and not like, but you'll also, even if it's something you don't like, you might pick up a skill. Like my first job when I first transitioned over to like business finance side, you know, I I needed something. I needed to figure out what I was doing, and I was working for an insurance company, and like literally, they they had me like telemarketing. I was calling the elderly, asking them if they wanted long-term life insurance, and. (laughs) There's nothing more awful than cold calling strangers. Um, and I remember every day I did it. I knew I needed to get some experience. I was doing it and I, I dreaded it. But honestly, that the skill I've developed from that is I can talk to a wall. Like I can talk to a stranger. I can talk to anybody um, because I was kind of forced to talk to strangers.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you think that um, people should be scared of change, doing, making that huge career change? Um, no, listen to yourself,
1: right? Once you start first hearing that voice, like, this is not what I want to do. Don't wait till, you know, you're 20 years into your career and miserable. Um, transition, you know, at at first it's challenging. Even like, even though we talk about like, oh, I loved every experience I had. There was challenge. There was hardship. There were mistakes made. Um, and that's okay, right? Uh, You don't want to be stuck in something you don't love doing or don't, you know, enjoy doing that you dread waking up every morning and going to do. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to switch your major. In college, yeah, it's fairly easy. It's very common um, unless you're like, you know, in your last semester, your senior year, mm-hmm. um, and want to remain in college for a few more years. It's fairly easy as, as long as you can, you know, once, you know, and, it, and take classes, take as many classes as you can. Undergrads are so cool where you have this variety of options of, of things you can explore. I mean, have a little bit of focus. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. Um, but, yeah, changing your, your major should, it's fairly simple.
0: But to be a lawyer, it doesn't really matter what you take in university, correct? Correct.
1: As long as you do well, get good grades, um, you can get an undergraduate degree in anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you do have to take um, a law school entrance exam called the LSAT. And so your transcript and your LSAT grade along with your application and essays is what kind of determines um, getting into law school. And once you're in law school, to be licensed in a certain state, you have to take the bar exam for that state.
0: And what what's the hardest thing of that process
1: the bar exam okay. <laughs> i think that's that's you know anybody who's taken the bar exam you can probably still has like nightmares but you know it's just this you you, you take a chunk of time off from everything in your life and you just focus and you you study and you get it done um but I think harder than that is my other career, which is motherhood. <laughs> like at least, you know, law school, you, it finishes. You know, the bar exam, you take it once, it's done. Your work day ends at some point. But you know what? I think you mentor. I don't know if you guys have had the career of, of a parent. You should interview a parent. <laughs> you are the CEO of your household. Um, and that's the one job that I'm always struggling to kind of do better with. And it's, it's challenging. And I, and, I, and I love having that constant challenge.
0: But you found a way to
1: sort of balance that. Oh dear! Um, the work life balance—that amazing secret. If any of our listeners—if you have the recipe to that perfect work life balance, <laughs> please share it. Um, but you know, I—I I think along the way, as you know, um, with each of my situations when, you know, when I was I had one child, then I had two, and then I had three. I really did work hard to create those opportunities, um, for myself where they didn't exist, mm-hmm. um, so I could balance family and my career, um. And everything else I like to do, like play tennis. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else you want to say to the listeners? I want to well first, first I want to say to you, mentor and Umoja, that it is so awesome that you guys are doing this. And my young people who are kind of on the path of figuring out what you're doing or are doing something or looking for change, take advantage of this. Like if I had this growing up, it would have been amazing um, to have this resource of people who are willing to give up their Saturday and 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 talk to you all and then provide themselves as a resource thereafter. So um You know, take advantage of everything you have around you. Um, And I'm going to say it again, like, you know, gather as many experiences as you can, too, because, you know, you don't know you like something unless you're exposed to it. Like, I didn't know of anything other than medicine when I was younger. And then when I saw all that was out there in the world, thank you, Mrs. Mackey, my ninth grade teacher. Um, (laughs) You know, that kind of remained in the back of my mind as, you know, I went through my formative years and became an adult and was out in the Mm -hmm. world.
0: So it is really the small things in life that create a big impact on what yeah. you are. Mm-hmm.
1: But truly, I never thought I would you know, sit here and be telling you that it was my ninth grade social studies teacher. But it <laughs> was that really started that. You know, So you have these sparks in life, right? She started mm-hmm. a spark
0: and it became a flame until it became a fire. And um, alhamdulillah. Thank you so much, Tina, for sharing your inspirational career path with us.
1: You're welcome. Thank you so much for
0: having me. Of course. And before we get to Brother Sajad, just a reminder that Umoja's Soccer Academy session is in full swing in select cities. If you want an academy in your city, please reach out to us at info at umojaoutreach.org. Sajjad, assalamu alaikum.
2: Wa well, alaykum well, how are you?
0: Good, how are you? I'm good, thanks. So your career path is a bit different than Hina's because you went into something that you wanted to do, but then you found your niche in it. Can you tell us a bit about what it is you do?
2: Yes, let me just start off by saying that there's actually a stark difference between what Hina does and what I do, and mm-hmm. I definitely don't save lives. <laughs> uh, and uh, as far as the volunteering opportunities goes, there's there's far and few. In fact, mm-hmm. there's almost none. So that's that. Um, Going back to what it is that I do, um, I work on the backbone of the internet, Mm -hmm. uh, which is basically billions of miles of fiber optics that connects the entire world. What we see today, uh, all this data that is being consumed, uh, is really just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, There are uh, statistics out there that say that, you know, 99% of the internet can't even be searched. So if you think of, you know, what you can find on the internet, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that includes apps and any information, including Netflix and even uh, Wikipedia and sending out emails, that's really only 1% of the internet. So my job primarily is to help service providers. Uh, Those can include... uh, you know, so service providers such as Netflix who provide video mm-hmm. or service providers like Rogers in Canada or, or at and in the US that provide end-to-end services to consumers for cell phone service or high-speed internet to small, medium, and large businesses. They need to have equipment that carries light from one end to the other. And this can be around the globe. Uh, where I come in is whenever there's an issue on their fiber optic network mm-hmm. uh strictly speaking their cables uh, my job is to go in and uh look at the issue you know what's happened in the past how do we move forward
0: so you're the human troubleshooter
2: i'm the human troubleshooter i <laughs> come in when the equipment cannot for itself you know uh tell the 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 human what is wrong with itself mm-hmm. because um you know Artificial intelligence is still developing, um, but there will always be a need for a human being to understand what is wrong with the artificial intelligence in, in intelligence as well.
0: So what did you study in, in uh, university?
2: I went to school for software engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, unlike my, my co-panelist, uh, a lot of my extended <laughs> family is in tech. So for me, it was less of a wake-up call, more of... You know, what else am I going to do? <laughs> and, <laughs> and and you know, as you're growing up, you know, the, the conversations around the uh, dinner table are more or less the same. Hey, what is it that you do? Well, I work in tech. Okay, well, what is it that you do? I work in tech too. So I think that really rubs off on you from a very young age. Uh, so I went to school for software engineering. Um, I did my eight-month uh, uh, co-op term, and that's when I really started realizing, you know what, I need to find a niche for myself because – engineering is a huge discipline. Uh, even when you, you know, say that I'm a software engineer, it, it really means very little to another software engineer mm. because you can be working on so many different products, especially in the last 10 years. Technology is growing at such a rapid pace that when you, when you say to somebody that I work in IT, that could mean one in, like let's say, 10,000 things that you work on. Because it's very so you, broad it's so broad and it's always changing there's no such thing as a particular technology at any given time that you know is is so uh, popular that when you say to somebody oh i work on in in tech they automatically assume that you work on this thing because it's changing every day so when I finished my co-op term, I realized, you know what, this isn't quite for me. I don't want to sit behind a screen and be, you know, typing code all day because that's the perception that people have. And I definitely didn't want to be part of that niche. And when I found my first job, I started realizing more and more what's out there. And it was just one after another series of events that was a, uh, a wake up call for me. And I was extremely lucky to be placed in a situation where I was happy with the opportunity that was given to me,
0: and what was your first job?
2: My first job right after school was as a network engineer and specifically working for a company called Siena. Uh, if you look at the history of Siena, they had bought a huge chunk of assets from Nortel. Nortel was the 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 leader in fiber optic networks and just networking you know I- equipment in general. Uh, globally up until I want to say around 2008. So C&I had recently acquired acquired their global assets because they had went bankrupt due to a financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And my job was to come in and work on their flagship product and, you know, understand the depth of their product, how it works, the insides and out, and help the end customer. And by end customers, I mean large Uh, uh, corporations that employ all this equipment to then deliver services to their end customers
0: so you're the man behind the man
2: I'm the man behind the man and maybe even the man behind that person. okay
0: (laughs) you're not dealing with um, direct like people customers like me for example calling up Rogers you're dealing with the actual companies providing the service
2: I'm not dealing with consumers who are, you know, uh, taking advantage of a particular service. Mm -hmm. I'm not uh, dealing with consumers who are, you know, for lack of a better word, consuming information off of the internet. Mm -hmm. And by internet, I mean any number of services. Uh, You know, most people only think of the internet as what can be found online, such as, you know, video services, making phone calls, you know, sending a text message, if they are you know, uh, studying in school, I want to be able to find something, those kind of things. So my job is to work with customers who are going to be deploying the, the equipment. So uh, I think most people uh, assume that you know, when you're accessing information wirelessly, that the signal is going out over to a, to, to a cell phone tower and then out to a satellite and, you know, then it's coming back on the ground in another part of the world. That's not entirely true. Everything in the world is connected through wires. The wireless aspect of it is, for example, if you have a wireless router in your house, that's really only what a wireless signal is. It's just like a small router in your house. Other than that, everything is connected to through wires. So there's a... A fiber optic cable, uh, you know, maybe even twenty feet wide, that goes in the ocean from Japan to Australia. There are billions of miles of fibers that go from Australia all the way to North America. There's hundreds of thousands of you know f- uh, fiber optic cables going from New York to Chicago. So at any given time, uh, something is going to go wrong because you're talking about you know this physical medium. Which, when you look at it, is as thin as a strand of hair that's carrying literally light. And when you place it underground or you place it in the ocean, there's going to be things like an ocean current that's going to influence how light is being carried over this microscopic medium.
0: And you've, you work to fix that if there is an issue.
2: Precisely. Okay. So light as a medium it needs to be regenerated every several miles or every several hundred miles depending on what kind of you know stress is put on it. If it's going through an ocean, chances are it may not have a lot of you know um, uh, stress placed on it because it's in a relatively stable environment. Whereas if it's being placed under uh, you know like a, a very busy street, chances are there's a lot of cars going over it. So you need to regenerate that signal more and more often. Mm -hmm. It's that regeneration that more often than not, you know, comes up as an issue. So my job is to, you know, look at that problem. Well, you know, is is it really just as simple as, you know, that a part has broken down? Is it that, you know, we are putting too much stress on this fiber optic or is it more than that? And, you know, looking at these issues can take anywhere from several minutes if you've seen something like this before, to even several months to conclude an entire investigation.
0: And what has been the most challenging um, situation you've been put in?
2: That takes me back to 2014. I was two years into my profession and, you know, uh, part of the job uh, requires to be on call. Uh, You're typically on call seven days uh, of, of the week, uh, every two months, let's say. Um, and as an on-call engineer, you're the first person that a a large uh, a customer is going to try to get a hold of when something goes wrong. These customers are very well aware of how their network is deployed. They are very well equipped to troubleshoot the issues on their own too. But they're paying us, you know, anywhere from several hundred thousand dollars <laughs> to millions of dollars a month to optimize their network, to make sure that, you know, when their capabilities end, that's where we begin. So in 2014, uh, if you are from Southeast Asia, uh, in India, uh, there is a service provider called, called uh, re- uh, re- Reliance. They're mm-hmm. the equivalent of, uh, let's say, AT&T in the U.S., and they provide end-to-end consumer services, meaning cell phone or Internet. Okay. And the two biggest cities in India, uh, among many, uh, Pune and uh, Hyderabad, they had a fiber optic outage. And at the time, you know, when, when I picked up the phone, they said, we have 100,000 people without service and we have an SLA that we have to meet. SLA is short for service level agreement. Every customer in the world, including you and I, has an SLA uh, with our service provider. We may not exercise on that SLA, but to give you an example, when your cell phone goes down, you will call Rogers and say, hey, you know what? I haven't had cell phone service for, let's say, uh, 24 hours. Mm -hmm. I need $5 knocked off of my bill for next month. Mm. And maybe Rogers will say yes or no. But when you're dealing with large corporations, their SLAs are hundreds of thousands of dollars by the minute or by the hour. Mm. So these customers are not just calling in scared They may be calling in angry or they may be just be calling in to say, you know what, we know it's not your fault, but we have money on the line and we need you to work on this right at this second. And it doesn't matter whether it's 3 a.m. or 3 p.m. So this particular situation was at 3 a.m. I had been well accustomed to picking up the phone, said, "Okay, well, you know, it's no big deal. Let's take a look at what's going on. The problem that we were running into after several hours of looking at this is that their upper management was coming down hard on us and saying, "You know, it's been several hours, we've already lost all this money, we're not able to meet our SLA, what is the next best thing? And in my profession, there's only ever two things you can do. You can either prolong that situation and fix it permanently, or you can keep applying Band-Aid until you can find a permanent solution. The problem was in this particular situation that when I went to apply the Band-Aid, I had to take down another several hundred thousand customers and bring them up eight hours later. Wow. So this negotiation of, you know, what is the best thing we can do went on for nearly five days. All the while we were trying to recover anywhere between five to 10,000 people every several hours, the best we could. Because fiber optic cables don't just run one way, they run several hundred ways. So we had to reroute all of their internet traffic one way or the other, all while making sure that other customers and other cities who have not experienced any kind of a, of a service impact don't have any kind of service uh, degradation. So if you're paying for, let's say, you know, uh, 50 megabits per second of internet speed, that they don't, you know, not give you, let's say, only 10 or 15 megabits per second. So that was a huge challenge, and I will never forget that because it went on for several days to a point where I even had to sleep in the office for two days straight.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. It sounds like it's a very high-stress job at times.
2: I think anybody who works in tech would tell you that uh, technology comes with its, you know, uh, ups and downs, and definitely... Uh, anybody who is in a technical support role will tell you that it is a high stress job. It's the adrenaline rush that for most of us is very exciting. And I think that's what keeps guys like me around. And it's what uh, motivates us. It's what you know makes me excited. And I always look forward to Mondays for that adrenaline rush.
0: So you look forward to your job?
2: I think if you enjoy what you do uh, mm-hmm. in, in in any profession – If I think if you're not looking forward to Mondays, maybe you need to reevaluate and, you know, ask yourself, am I really happy with 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 what I'm doing? And in my case, I was very lucky that I was able to salvage, you know, what I had gone to school for and then what made me happy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it may not be the case for everybody. So if you're able to salvage, I think it's always better to, you know, you know, take that road rather than wait for that opportunity to to come your way.
0: And it sounds like what makes you really happy is having that tech side, but also having the real person to speak to that customer service aspect
2: yes it it always excites me when I'm able to provide a solution that works for somebody, mm-hmm. even if it's not perfect when somebody says, "You know what you really helped me out of this this uh, situation it it really brings a smile on my face, and I know that that person on the other line whether it whether i'm I am on the phone with them or I'm sending them you know, some kind of a text message or an email. Uh, it it always brings a smile on my face when I hear the words "You really helped me out today."
0: Mm-hmm. And if with all of that that pressure, is there uh, some sort of repercussion if the if you're not able to solve a problem?
2: So, tech support is a is 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 almost like a brotherhood or a or a sisterhood, so so, so to speak. Yeah. The repercussions can be you know far and few um, as long as you know and you are confident in what you're doing and you're engaging the right people. So if you're you know if you're not prolonging that that situation because you may be overconfident in, in your own uh, ab- abilities, I think the, the customers are always understanding that it's not you that's causing the problem. the, the, the repercussions come in when you prolong any kind of situations which can then impact the SLA. Um, have I seen people being laid off, uh, you know, for not being able to deliver? Yes. Have mm-hmm. I seen people, you know, getting a stern warning for not being able to deliver? Yes. But it's, it's the fact that, you know, when you're in tech support, you're working with people who really care that you're okay, because it's such a high stress job, there's bound to be You know, that one moment when you're going to snap. So when you Mm -hmm. talk to your senior colleagues, when you talk to management and you try to help them understand, hey, I need help and I need it now. That situation almost always works itself out.
0: So even if you don't know something, it's always good to ask for help to be able to solve the issue.
2: It's always better to ask for help. Um, one of the the things that you know we are encouraged to do in my profession, or specifically specifically in in my jobs that I've held in the past, is you always send out an email, and it doesn't matter what time of the day it is. You let other people know what you're working on, mm-hmm. um, because when you want to bring somebody on a let, I'm I'm gonna keep using the word call, but when you want to you want to bring people on this call, what you don't want is to just dump a huge load of work on them and say, I've been working on this for three hours. I have done That's everything <laughs> I could. And now it's your problem. Mm-hmm. I think that really irritates people and it irritates your, your uh, customers, right? Mm-hmm. Because now they're saying, oh, now I have to like start all over again with this new person. <laughs> so it's always better to keep everybody in the loop. Uh, it's always better to be upfront and say you don't know something you can you can you can say white lies you can you know hide the fact that you don't know something but it's always better to tell your own teammates and your management that you know i have reached my ultimate capacity and i need help
0: have you been in that position before
2: all the time mm. i would say that if you work in tech there's no way that you know everything somebody who says otherwise is overconfident and you're going to run into a wall and it's going to hurt so bad that you're not going to be able to get up. Nobody knows everything, and that's absolutely okay because my job is always on-the-job learning. Everything is not written down in, in some kind of a manual. If it were written down, then I wouldn't have a job because anybody can pick up a book and you know read how to fix it and go on. You're relying on your memory. You're relying on your, on your uh, relationships that you built at work. And that's what really helps you move forward.
0: And how has Islam sort of helped you in this career?
2: So unlike my, you know, my co uh, co panelists, you know, I'm not I'm not in this profession to necessarily help people have a have a better life. But I like to think that I'm doing humanity some kind of you know I, I am I am I'm I'm helping them out in some way. I think. The Internet is used for so much good these days that if i when i 'm at work and i 'm and I'm sitting behind my screen and I, and I tell myself, I hope that this end user that didn 't have an internet service today, I was able to you know bring them to a place where hopefully their their life became better yeah. and I think Islam always encourages us to help each other out, uh, going back to the fact that you know tech is like uh, like a brotherhood. You know, having good relationships at work, uh, that's another thing that I think Islam always encourages, you know, look out for your neighbor, you know, ask them if they're okay. A lot of times, I will look at one of my colleagues, and he could be uh, sweating buckets, and nobody will ask him how they're doing, Mm -hmm. because we're all, we are all drowning in work, and somebody on the other end is always angry at us. And I again and when I when I when I think back to uh, Islam I I always ask myself you know how do I best control my anger because if both parties are angry on the phone nothing is going to get accomplished mm-hmm. so there is a little bit of Islam that is always in the back of my head it may not seem apparent on the job but I think it really helps with the kind of uh, uh, uh I'm trying I'm trying to think of the word uh, the, uh <laughs> Upbringing that you have, mm. and Islam definitely plays plays a huge role in it.
0: And do you feel like that stress leaks into um, your life, or do you sort of find a way to keep those things separate?
2: The stress definitely, is, uh, you know, seeps into your life. Um, I am so glad to have a partner that understands what kind of stress I have at work, mm-hmm. because the job is so demanding, and it's and it's and it's demanding on demand. What I mean by that is. I can go days where I won't be under any kind of stress. And I, and it only takes an hour to be under so much stress that, you know, mm-hmm. I might grow like uh, like a white hair. So, uh, <laughs> because things don't break down when you anticipate them to break down. They will break down mm-hmm. when, when, when they do. When you least um, so
0: expect it.
2: When you least expect it. And when somebody calls you and says, you know, I have money on the line and I need this fixed now, and you know very well that – You can't fix it right now because it's just not possible. You need time to investigate. So having a partner that's patient and understands, it really goes a long way.
0: And what are the most important skills for your job to do what you do?
2: Sorry, can you please repeat that?
0: What are the most important skills for your job?
2: Um, okay, so the most important skill would be customer service. Mm-hmm. I think going to school for a technical degree only opens the, the door for what I do. Uh, technical support is all about you know, how you talk to people, how you deliver that information to that person. Can you make them feel confident in your uh, 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 abilities to fix their problem? And that all stems from customer service. You need to be able to have a very good command on the English language or, or any language that you know. You have to provide that, that service in. You need to be able to keep a cool level head because if you're stressed out, the first thing that's gonna happen is you're gonna forget what you know. And if you are forgetting what you know, there's mm-hmm. no book that you can just open up and say, you know what, I'm gonna take a step back and go through this book because the answers are simply not there. You're relying entirely on you and yourself in that moment. Um, So customer service, keeping a level head. And last but not least, you really need to know what you know. Mm -hmm. If you think that, you know, I have done all of my studying and now I can just take a break for the next three months and not learn something new, you're going to get left behind. So you have to continuously be learning something new.
0: If you're just joining and you missed the inspiring first part of the show by Hina Musabji, you can always hear the replay on the YouMentor website under Prior Talk Shows. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the iTunes podcast so you never miss another show? Sajad, what is a piece of advice you would give to the next generation?
2: The piece of advice I would give to the next generation is that no matter what discipline you are going to be in, whether it's finance, accounting, law, um, medicine, Mm -hmm. always have, you know, one finger in tech. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is you have to be aware of there's so many technologies that you're using every day. And if you just look at your cell phone, the number of apps you have, they all are going to utilize a different technology. It's absolutely okay if you don't know how something works, but awareness is key. And there's bound to be something in technology that you're going to fall in love with. You don't have to be an expert in it, and you don't have to use it every day. But you must be aware of how, you know, what is the next best thing that's coming out. And if you can code even as little as 10 to 15 lines, it's going to go a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you need to be able to code no matter what discipline you're in
0: what about um, jobs that will give you certifications
2: uh, yeah so if you're looking for your next job um, especially in tech so let's say you just graduated from finance and you're gonna be working for a company that you know plays in the in the in the tech industry um, what would be great to know is if they provide or will they pay for any kind of certifications, especially if you're in tech, if you just graduated as a software engineer or as a computer science engineer, it's very important to know that somebody is going is is willing to invest in you because what you've studied for the last four or five years is going to be completely irrelevant in the next four to five years if it isn't already by the time you finish school. So, uh, invest in yourself and, you know, see if somebody else is going to invest in yourself, especially your next employer.
0: And what, um, like, real tangible steps uh, would you suggest someone take?
2: So one tangible step that I can think of from my own, uh, you know, my, my own experience is something like uh, LinuxAcademy.com. Mm-hmm. You can go on there, you, I think it's as little as uh, 30 uh, US dollars a month, and you can learn a wide range of technologies. And like I said, again, it doesn't matter whether at the end of it, you get certified. If you're in tech, definitely get certified. Because more than a bachelor's and a master's and a PhD, what matters is, do you know something that your next employer is looking for? And every employer is looking for something different. There's already more than a thousand languages out there that you can code in. All we hear today is things like Java and C++. But when you go on the job, you realize, oh my God, like that is not like one, maybe, maybe one in like 10 people are mm-hmm. looking for that expertise. So get certified, you know, look for resources, go on YouTube. If you can spend 20 minutes of your day or even 20% of the time that you spend online to learn something in tech, it's going to go a long way. And to give you an example, if you're using Microsoft Excel, um, you need to be able to script within Excel to, you know, some kind of like a formula to give you any kind of output you're looking for. And that is called, you know, for lack of a better word, coding. That is called scripting. You're not going to be able to know how to script unless you're aware of what you don't know, and then you go out and then seek that information.
0: What previous skills or opportunities or experiences in your life helped you land that first job interview for you in that first job?
2: So my first job interview post, uh, you know, after after financial school was very unconventional. They had flown me down uh, uh, two hours away. Um, I was actually like Blown away by the fact that wow, somebody actually believes in me and it's gonna fly me down for a, <laughs> for a job interview and I haven't even even finished school. Most people will probably get a job interview b- before they finish school, maybe six months before. So mm-hmm. it was not new, but I was like, wow, like I don't have anything on my on my resume other than the eight-month internship that really jumps out. And After two hours of being in that room, I left and I said to myself, I'm not going to get this job. It's not going to happen. They didn't ask me about anything on my resume that was technical. There was simply no technical questions. Um, All they asked me was about what I was doing part-time while I was in school. And I was working at a gas station. I was working at Best Buy. And I told myself, you know, why are they so interested? It's six years later than now now when I look back at that job interview, do I realize, oh, okay, that's why it was relevant. Because they were looking for somebody who can talk to a human being on the other line. So because soft skills are so important in tech, I think there's something that nobody appreciates, nobody talks about. Because you can teach a monkey to code, but you can't teach a monkey how to talk to somebody. Uh, so your soft skills go a long way don't think to yourself that oh you know because I work at a gas station or I work at the mall that these skills are not going to be transferable it just depends on what that other person out there is looking for
0: and do you think that a person should know where they're going to be in five years or is that just something that sort of happens in life
2: I wake up every day and I tell myself, I'm so lucky to be where I am. I definitely didn't know I was gonna be here. I think you should have some kind of conviction and pride in what you do and you know, look forward maybe, I, I think if you work in tech, it's definitely important to see where you're gonna go next because technology is always evolving. Outside of tech, I think it's still just as important but maybe not as relevant to know where you're going to be in the next year. Um, I don't want to say that I'll, I've always like, you know, winged it, mm-hmm. but luck definitely plays a huge role. I think, you know, it's very important to pray to God to give you that that wisdom to know where you're going because you could know where you're going and it just may not work out for you. Mm-hmm. So it's, it definitely helps to know that there is a guardian angel with you that's going to help you go in that right direction.
0: And do you have any last things you would like to say to the listeners?
2: Uh, I would just like to reiterate that, you know, spend time learning any kind of technology and it doesn't have to be relevant to, you know, what your friends are doing or what you're doing at work because your next, your next job arguably is going to be in technology. So, If you can get one foot in the door uh, and get certified and if you can't get certified because it's too expensive, you need to have a technical ability to show that you know what you're talking about. So please, 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 please spend time on YouTube and learn something new every week or every month.
0: Thank you so much, Sajad, for your time.
2: Thank you for yours.
0: If you don't know, the Umoja Games 2018 in Detroit was a resounding success. Relive the excitement by looking at the official photos on the Umoja Games website and then click gallery. Thank you for listening to the show on YouTube Live. If you're catching up on uh, on the show from SoundCloud or iTunes podcast. If you want to reach out to the speakers directly from the show or any of our previous shows, to ask questions about anything to any of our professionals, visit our online platform at Um umojaoutreach.org slash unleash the future slash groups, or you can visit the Umentor website and hit the link for online platform.